Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Do you know what time it is? That's right. It's time for your midweek Bible study. It's great to be with you once again. Thanks for joining me. Today is Wednesday, August 9th. Last week, we completed our study of 1 Timothy, and today we begin 2 Timothy. And we're going to begin with 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and we're going to talk about Paul's greetings and then his encouragement of Timothy to be faithful. We'll get to all that in a moment, but right now, join me in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we worship you so much. We love you so much, and we're grateful to you for all things. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive your truth today through the study of your word. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. All right, get your Bible or Bible apps open to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, and let's find out what the Apostle Paul has to say. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because this was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he's made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Jesus Christ our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Vigilius and Hermogenes. May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he visited me often and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return and you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. All right, let's take a look at our opening verses today. One and two, these are the verses where Paul sends his opening greetings to Timothy. Starting out with verse one. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. Our first question today is this. This opening verse sounds a lot like 1 Timothy 1.1. 1, 1. Was it necessary for Paul to introduce himself like this once again to Timothy? The short answer is no. 
Paul's formal introduction, it was not necessary for Timothy, but Paul knew that his letters and teaching would ultimately reach a much larger audience, so he included these credentials. Let's talk about those credentials for a moment. Just like in 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul identifies himself by name and also by his authority. Paul was an apostle, meaning one who is sent. Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples who were called apostles after Jesus' resurrection. Yet Jesus appeared to Paul personally and commissioned him to be an apostle. Paul didn't seek this apostleship. Instead, he was chosen by God, so Paul could truthfully say he was an apostle by God's will. Take a look at the phrase at the end of the verse, the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. It provides almost a summary statement of Paul's theology. To have faith in Christ Jesus involves trusting him, identifying with him, seeing ourselves under his protection and authority, and then recognizing his presence in us. Next up, verse 2, it says, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Here's the question. This verse completes the introduction, identifying the letter's recipient and offering a greeting frequently used by Paul. Who is Paul writing to? What is his relationship with that person? And what is significant about this greeting? Well, obviously, Paul is writing his second letter to Timothy. Here, Paul calls Timothy, my dear son. In 1 Timothy 1-2, he was called my true son in the faith. This reveals the special relationship that had developed between them, like a father and son. This term of endearment also indicates that this letter will be directed more toward Timothy himself. Within this greeting are the words grace and peace, which Paul uses in all of his letters. But in his letters to Timothy, he adds the word mercy. Mercy pictures God's loving kindness so often written about in the Old Testament. God's mercy helps us each and every day. Paul loved Timothy dearly, so he added mercy to reassure Timothy of God's constant protection and guidance, especially important as Paul faced his own death. Now we're going to study verses 3 through 18 and see how Paul encourages Timothy to continue being faithful to the Lord. Here's verse 3. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Here's the question. Paul begins this section of encouragement with more words for Timothy and a statement about his service to Christ. Can you elaborate? We know that Paul constantly prays for the churches he founded and visited, and Paul prayed constantly for Timothy, his friend, his fellow traveler, his son in the faith, and a strong leader in the Christian church. At this point, the two men were not together, so their prayers provided a source of mutual encouragement. At present, Paul was sitting in a damp Roman prison cell. He could no longer preach and travel, but he could pray. And Paul's dearest friend Timothy was ministering in the church in Ephesus with believers dear to him. Paul expressed his thankfulness to God for Timothy and his ministry, praying for him night and day. Paul knew he would die soon, but Timothy had been well prepared to carry on with strong leadership in the Christian church. Then right in the middle of this verse, Paul makes an almost parenthetical statement that he served with a clear conscience just as my ancestors did. This mirrors his words in 1 Timothy 1.5. Most likely, Paul was describing his life of service to God as being wholehearted and without regrets. As Paul looked back over his life, mainly his life since his call to apostleship and ministry, he could confidently say that he had accomplished what God had called him to do. Next is verse 4. It reads, 
I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Here's the question. Paul continues with his encouragement to Timothy in this verse. What is he saying? We don't know when Paul and Timothy had last parted, but it was probably when Paul was arrested and taken to Rome for his second imprisonment. The tears they had shed at parting had revealed the depth of their relationship. Timothy brought Paul great joy. Paul longed to see Timothy again, so twice more in this letter Paul requested that Timothy do his best to come see him. Next is verse 5. It reads, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. I know that same faith continues strong in you. Here's the question. What is the theme of this verse, and what does it tell you about Timothy's family connections? The theme of this verse, my friends, is sincere faith. Paul's only other mention of this phrase is in 1 Timothy 1.5. Here, Paul notes the historical and family connections in Timothy's faith. First, this faith was in Timothy's grandmother Lois, mentioned only here in the New Testament. Second, Timothy's mother Eunice is noted. Acts 16 reveals that Timothy's father was a Greek, meaning a Gentile, and his mother was Jewish. Timothy's mother was devout in her beliefs, raising Timothy to know the Torah and Jewish customs. However, it may have also been that both Lois and Eunice had become Christians in Lystra during Paul's ministry there. If so, their influence in Timothy's salvation would have been even greater. In verse 3, Paul noted that his own faith was a continuation of that of his Jewish ancestors. Here in this verse, Timothy's faith is connected with his own Jewish ancestors. Paul and Timothy were therefore family, both as fellow Jews and fellow believers in Christ. Their spiritual connection was strong. Timothy may be away from home, in Ephesus, in other words, rather than his hometown of Lystra, but was part of a godly family that had influenced his walk with God. Next is verse 6. This is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Here's the question. What is Paul encouraging Timothy to do in this verse? Paul told Timothy to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you. In other words, Paul was encouraging Timothy to persevere. At the time of Timothy's ordination, he received a special gift of the Spirit to enable him to serve the church. I believe this gift was most likely the gift of ministry, the special grace from God to do Christian service. Verse 7 supports this concept. Paul's words, when I laid my hands on you, most likely meant that Timothy's spiritual gift had been given to him along with a prophecy when Paul and the elders laid their hands on him and set him apart for ministry. So rather than ask Timothy to restart a cold fire, Paul was encouraging him to fan a young fire to keep it in full flame. Timothy did not need new revelations or new gifts. He just needed to fan the gift of leadership he already had received, as well as to have courage and self-discipline for holding on to the truth in the days to come. When Timothy used his gift, the Holy Spirit would go with him and give him power. Beloved, God never gives us a task to do without empowering us to carry it out. Next, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Our question is, what is Paul urging Timothy to do in this verse? In a nutshell, Paul is urging Timothy to be bold and reminded him of his call, his gift, and God's provision. I think it's really interesting the way this verse begins because it may explain why Paul dwells so much on concepts like bravery and spiritual strength when writing to Timothy. 
Maybe this represented a spiritual weakness which Paul was helping Timothy to overcome. Perhaps Timothy was content in his role of serving alongside Paul and didn't want to be an outspoken leader of a large movement of Christians. And yet, this was the role Timothy held in Ephesus at the time Paul wrote this letter. So then Paul said, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. What does God provide instead? In the last part of this verse, it says God provides power, love, and self-discipline. Let's talk about those attributes. First, power. We don't need to have naturally powerful personalities. God gives strength of character and confidence that wins us respect when we face opposition as we speak, preach, and live the truth. God supernaturally replaced any timidity on the servant's part with boldness. Such power is difficult to discredit. Then there's love. Accompanying the power to speak the truth must be love for the listeners, believers, and non-believers alike. Love separates Christians from the world around them. Indeed, love separated the minister of Christ from the false teachers. Such love is difficult to dismiss. And lastly, there's self-discipline. This can also be translated self-control or sound mind. In order to lead others, true ministers must control themselves. To put it another way, a good leader must have a cool head. Now, all of these attributes are gifts of the Spirit, not just natural tendencies. They function best in harmony. Under the pressures of leadership, people tend to gravitate towards a desire for power and boldness as the most effective tools for success. But used alone, these qualities are self-defeating. The inclusion of self-control clearly indicates that a leader's effectiveness comes from God's Spirit. We may be impressed by a leader who exhibits boldness and power, but without love or self-control, such a leader is little more than a bully. Next is verse 8. It reads, So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Here's the question. Here Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed of two things. What are they? In this time of mounting persecution, Timothy may have been struggling with fears as he continued to preach the gospel. His fears would have been based on the fact that believers were being arrested and executed. So against such opposition, Paul urged Timothy never to be ashamed, number one, to tell others about our Lord, and number two, that Paul sat in prison for his testimony. Don't be ashamed of that fact. Paul was sure of God's hand in his present situation and that he was in prison for Christ. Paul told Timothy to be ready to suffer. Eventually, Timothy would be jailed for preaching the gospel. But Paul promised Timothy that God would give him reliable strength and that he would be able to endure it if suffering came. Folks, that's also true for us today. Next, verse 9, it says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because this was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. Here's the question. In this verse, Paul transitions from the idea of suffering for the sake of the gospel to what? Paul transitions to the holy life to which Christians are called. Both Paul and Timothy had been saved and were given a calling to serve others in ministry. Salvation is not on the basis of the things we do, but only by the power of God. The same is true of a calling to serve others in ministry. It's not the result of our own efforts. It's God's purpose and grace which can be found behind the calling of every person who serves in ministry. The last phrase of this verse speaks deeply regarding the sovereignty of God. Do you see that? 
The calling believers have to salvation and ministry has existed since before time began. This amazing truth should humble every believer, including the greatest ministry leaders. We should all recognize that our work is not based on our performance or gifts, but on the divine calling of God. Next, let's look at verses 10 and 11 together. They read, And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. And God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. Here's the question. What is Paul saying in these verses about the gospel? Paul is saying that salvation through Christ was planned by God since eternity. It was made plain to people by the coming of Christ Jesus our Savior. This coming was in human form. Christ Jesus on earth, in other words, in human body, preaching, teaching, healing, dying, and rising again. His becoming visible and touchable allowed humans access to him in a way that had not been available before his incarnation. Through his death and resurrection, Christ broke the power of death and showed us the way to everlasting life. He ended death's claim of invincibility and mortally wounded Satan. All human beings must still die, no doubt, but death is not the end. Believers are given eternal life beginning at the moment of salvation, and though we will die physically, we will live forever with Christ. This is the mystery of our Savior, Christ Jesus, brought to light through the good news. Paul had been commissioned to proclaim this good news as well. As a preacher, Paul announced or proclaimed the message. As an apostle, he acted as one who was sent. As a teacher, he imparted knowledge and gave instruction. Timothy obviously knew all of this. It seems that Paul added these words as he marveled at the wonder of his own call to such a tremendous responsibility. Next, let's look at verse 12. It reads, That is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. In this verse, Paul provides two reasons for why he was not reluctant to suffer for Christ. What are they? First, he could suffer for the sake of Jesus because he knew Jesus, and Jesus' sufferings gave Paul power to endure all things. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Second, Paul said he was not ashamed to suffer because he trusted Christ to be the ultimate foundation, not his own efforts. There is some uncertainty about what Paul is referring to when he says that Christ is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. But this particular reference to a day is most likely a reference to the moment after death when Paul would give his account of work before Christ. This is also supported by verse 18, where Paul will say of Onesiphorus, May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. There too, Paul refers to the moment where a believer stands before the Lord. Next, verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. The question is, what pattern does Paul say Timothy is to model? Timothy should be using Paul as a reference for teaching, preaching, and leadership. Like a sure foundation, Paul's pattern would keep Timothy from straying from the truth. Timothy had every resource needed to carry on his ministry, and it boiled down to teaching only the truth and living in the faith and love that he had in Christ Jesus. Sound teaching requires both faith in the heart and genuine love for the Lord. Sound teaching also helps people remain true to the tenets of the Christian faith. Let's look at verse 14. It reads, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that had been entrusted to you. The question is, how does Paul say Timothy is to guard the precious truth that's been given to him? Timothy was to carefully guard the truth entrusted to him by entrusting it to faithful men and women who would teach it to others, who in turn would teach it to others, and on and on through the centuries. Because men like Timothy guarded the truth as Paul had commanded, 2,000 years later, we too have the true gospel, the sound doctrine that we are commanded to entrust to others. And only with the help of the Holy Spirit could the truth remain untainted, guarded, and protected as it passed through the centuries. Next is verse 15. As you know, everyone from the province of Asia has deserted me, even Phagellius and Hermogenes. The question is, why does Paul say everyone had deserted him in the province of Asia? Now, I don't know that this was a literal desertion, or maybe Paul just used it as a sweeping generalization. Paul may have been referring to a general lack of concern or support for him in this difficult time of need. Many had refused to stand up for him or at least stay at his side during his trial, and this was apparently on purpose, and that caused Paul much pain. Also, those who were resisting Timothy were, in the same action, abandoning Paul. The fact that just a few had remained faithful heightened Paul's sense of having been deserted. We don't know much about Figelius and Hermogenes, but they evidently opposed Paul's ministry and or his authority. The fact that Paul named them could mean that he at least expected their desertion or that he knew they were in Ephesus. They may have even held leadership positions. Apparently, Timothy knew the situation, for Paul added no further details. In any case, these men serve as a warning that even leaders can fall. Next up is verse 16. It reads, May the Lord show special kindness to Onesiphorus and all his family because he often visited and encouraged me. He was never ashamed of me because I was in chains. The question is, in contrast to those who deserted Paul, he mentions a true and loyal friend. What is his name and why is he special to Paul? His name is Onesiphorus, and he was, as it said, a true and loyal friend to Paul. He was unashamed of Paul's imprisonment, and he refreshed Paul. The stigma attached to Paul being in chains and any concern about being identified as his friend didn't faze this faithful brother at all. He visited and encouraged Paul in prison many times. Paul prayed that God would show special kindness to this brother and all his family for his kindness that he showed to Paul. In verse 17, it says, When he came to Rome, he searched everywhere until he found me. The question is, what does Paul say Onesiphorus did when he came to Rome? Onesiphorus lived in Ephesus, but for some reason had been in Rome. And while he was there, he went way out of his way to search for Paul until he found him. The aging apostle saw in Onesiphorus a brother who allowed neither inconvenience nor potential embarrassment to keep him from keeping track of Paul. Onesiphorus's visits clearly had refreshed Paul. And now our last verse for today, verse 18. It says, May the Lord show him special kindness on the day of Christ's return. And you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus. Our last question today is, what was Paul's prayer for Onesiphorus? Paul prayed that the Lord would show Onesiphorus special kindness on the day of Christ's return. He was certain that there was going to be an accounting of each person's life and that unrewarded service for Christ in this life would be openly proclaimed. The last verse, and you know very well how helpful he was in Ephesus, it adds an extra insight into Onesiphorus. 
In addition to his ministry to Paul in Rome, Onesiphorus' service in Ephesus was known by Timothy. He was a man whose passion was to serve the Lord, whether at home, away, or leaving a legacy. What a great way to finish out today. Gosh, I'm encouraged by that. I hope you are too. Well, folks, that brings us to the end of today's study, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. As I said, what a great way to begin talking about encouragement and being faithful in service to Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to study 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 13, and we're going to talk about what being a good soldier of Jesus Christ means. I really want to thank you for being with me today. I hope you have a great rest of your day and week, and I will see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.